good to see you today. So thankful you've chosen to be with us here at Midway. Uh, I know we had about 14 yesterday who were able, or stuck Friday and yesterday, who were able to go up to Chattanooga with us for the couples retreat. And I hope that you'll go ahead and be making your plans. It doesn't make any difference if you're a young couple or an older couple. Now, I didn't say an old couple. Now, there were a couple of us up there, you know, a couple of the couples who were up there who who pretty much got looked at as old couples. So I need somebody older than me to go, so I'm not one of the old couples, all right? So next year we need some of the, some of the young folks and we need some of the older folks, and, and we look forward to having that. That will be the first weekend in February of next year, Lord willing, and nothing happens. And so you can go ahead right now and start making plans for those kinds of things that, that we will look forward to next year and hope that you'll be able to do that. As uh, we began this morning, I want to also remind us of what's going on next Sunday morning. We talk about couples and the couples retreat, but, but we're thankful for couples who have been able to show us how to be married for a long time. And so next Sunday morning, we want to recognize that. It is what our nation recognizes as Valentine's Day, and we talk about sweethearts, and, and who is more of a sweetheart than someone who's been able to, to share a marriage together and and do that for 50 years of more. And so uh, if you know someone who's been married for that amount of time, invite them. If you know somebody who's been married for less than that, it doesn't make any difference how much less than that, invite them too, because the lesson that we'll be looking at next Sunday morning hopefully will help all of us as we consider our marriages and the things that are related to that. You know, when we think about life, we think about the Old Testament, the New Testament, there are a lot of things that we think of in regard to commands that we're not to do. Okay? We're, there are several things that the Bible teaches us, numerous things in the Bible, commands that teach us of things that we are not to do. When you go to the Old Testament, you may be familiar with a phrase that's used a lot of times in the Old Testament, you shall not, if you're reading from the English Standard Version, some of the more modern versions, you shall not. And then there's a long list of things, and I'm not going to take time to read all of these up there this morning. You can sort of look through them. If, if you have a concordance, you can look through that. If you have a, a, a computerized Bible of some kind, you can just sort of type in that phrase, shall not, and go through the Old Testament, and, and you'll find a long list of things that you shall not. If you look up there, most of these things come from the book of Exodus, and, and you'll recognize these things from the Ten Commandment chapter, Exodus chapter number 20. You shall not make a carved image. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness. And, and you can fill in the blanks of all those in between. Not only do we have things in the Old Testament, we have things in the New Testament. A lot of times in the New Testament, you just read the phrase, do not. Do not. That's, that's the one. It's not so much thou shalt not or you shall not in the New Testament. A lot of times, it's just do not. And look at some of those things. In Romans chapter 12 at verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to the world. In Romans 12, 11, Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Do not be haughty, Romans 12, 16. Do not be idolaters, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Do not lie, Colossians chapter 3. And you can continue looking through those. And again, if you've got a concordance or if you've got a, a computerized Bible of some kind, you can type in, you know, the, the phrase, do not. You'll pull up a lot of things. These are just some of the things that we, that we find in the New Testament in regard to things that we're not to do. 
But I want to call your attention to one in particular because in this one, in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, the Bible very clearly teaches us, do not worry. Now, James read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and we're going to go back and look at some of that. I'm not going to take time to read it word for word right now. I have it on the screen, but, but since James read it for the sake of time this morning, we, we will uh, uh, skip over reading it all in, in detail there. But as you look through that passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus three times... Three times in that one passage says, do not be anxious if you're reading from the English Standard. If you're reading from the New King James and some of the other translations, they literally say, do not worry. Three times in that one passage, Jesus says, do not worry. If you put that in Old Testament terms, Jesus would have said it this way, thou shalt not worry. You know, it's just as much a command when you say do not as it is a command that says thou shalt not. Now, let me raise two important questions right here this morning. Question number one, as we think about this lesson and what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26, verses 25 through 34, question number one is this. Why do we think that we have to obey the other commands that God has given us in the Bible? But it's okay for us to disregard this one. Right? Don't we, don't we talk about worry, worry. That, I mean, everybody worries, you know, nobody, nobody's free from worry. Man, I wish I could be like somebody. I wish I didn't have all these worries. It's okay for me to worry. Why do we think that we have to obey the rest of the commands of God that he he gives us in the Bible? Is it okay for you to lie? Some people seem to think that it is, but it's not because the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation. All liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire, right? Why do we think we have to obey all of the others when we get by without obeying this one? Do I I need to open up the, the floor this morning and say, okay, somebody come up here and tell me. Explain this to me. Why do we think that we have to obey the rest of what God says, but this one's okay. It's just one of those things, you know, because everybody does it sometime or another. It's just one of those things it's okay for me to do. Why would we think something like that? And yet, by the way that we live our lives, sometimes that's what we're saying. It's okay for me to do this one as long as I don't do some of the others. This one is fine. That's question number one. Number two is this. How is it possible to command somebody not to worry? I think that one sort of gets at the heart of some of the why we think it's okay for us to do some of the other, or not do some of the other things and, and do this one. But, but how do you tell someone don't worry? You, you just say, don't worry, and they automatically stop. Is that the way it works? No, it doesn't work that way, does it? Well, I want you to understand this morning this principle. Jesus does not give us commands that it's impossible for us to keep. Jesus doesn't give us commands that it's impossible for us to keep. Now, granted, some commands are more difficult to keep than others, right? But they're not impossible. 
They're not impossible commands. Sometimes we, we may be tempted to do one thing more than we're tempted to do another thing. And just because we're not tempted to do one thing doesn't mean that some other, some other person is not more tempted by that than this thing over here that tempts me. But Jesus never gives us commands that are impossible for us to keep. You know, the good news is that Jesus knew how to keep the command, didn't he? Because Jesus, as he lived his life on this earth, did he not live a perfect life? And if he's giving us this command and it is an imperative from God, did he not know how to keep that command? Sure he did. He was able to keep that command just as he was able to keep the command, thou shalt not lie, and all of these other things. He was able to keep that command, and guess what? He can help us to understand that we need to keep it and how we can do that. Not only did he, was he able to do it, but he can help us to know how to keep the command that he gives us. Now, I want us to go through some of these things this morning, talk about them, and hopefully help ourselves out as we, as we deal with this battle. We're talking about the battle belongs to the Lord. But as we deal with this battle that so many of us, so many of us deal with on a regular, daily basis, every single day, we get up and we worry, how do we deal with it? Jesus helps us out a little bit with that. As, as I think about that, Jesus taught us to ask some questions. Okay? When we're wanting to deal with, with worry, Jesus suggested some simple questions that we're to ask ourselves. I'm going to hurriedly run through some of these, but they're found in the text there in the book of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and I've sort of rephrased them just a little bit, but, but the principle of the question is there. Who by worrying can add a single hour to anyone's life? I mean, we can't add an hour to our own life, can we? Just by worrying. And it doesn't make any difference who it is or where they are in the world. How many people by worrying can add one hour to anybody's life? Whether it's a a husband or a wife or a child or a parent or a good friend, who can add a single hour just by worrying to a person's life? That's a question that, that, that we really need to be asking ourselves. You know, as you think about that, who by worrying can, uh, has maybe taken a year off of their own life? You know, you put the opposite of that. We worry ourselves to death. Don't we say that sometimes? Who by worrying is, is driving people in your life out of their minds because we talk about a worry all the time? But who, by worrying, important question that Jesus taught us to ask, who by worrying can add a single hour to anyone's life? Number two, who by worrying has upgraded your wardrobe? Remember there in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about uh, asking the question, what shall we wear? Who, who has upgraded your wardrobe just by worrying about it? Man, they got a, they got a sale at Belk, and, and I'm worried about it. You know what? They got this good sale at Belk, and, and so I worried about it. And guess what? I walked in there in the closet this morning, and there was a brand new suit of clothes in there that came from Belk. Still had the tags on them. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? Who by worrying 
has upgraded your wardrobe. Number three, who by worrying has reduced your grocery bill. Don't you remember what Jesus asked there in Matthew chapter, what shall we eat, what shall we drink? Uh, Who has uh, reduced your grocery bill just by worrying about it? Nobody, not a single one. Who by worrying, number four, has added value to what you value most? See, Jesus asked that one too in this passage. Who, who has added value to what you value most in your life? Jesus teaches us to ask ourselves these questions. But, but as I think about these questions that Jesus poses for us here in the book of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, still got that question in my mind, how do you not worry? How do you not worry? Well, Jesus offers his followers an alternative to worry. An alternative. He, he says, here's the substitute. Here's the thing that takes the place of worry. You know, if you're not a, a Christian today, not a follower of Christ today, before you leave this place, I sure hope you will be one. And here's a good reason. On top of all the others, here's a good reason to be a, a Christ follower, if you will, one who's a Christian because of what he teaches us here. And and what he teaches us about worry, which not just us who are in this room, but just about everybody around us that has worry, if we could just find what Jesus said and look at that alternative and substitute it in our life for the worry that we have, then we'd be a whole lot better off. And so, you know, that's, that's a very good reason for being a Christian on top of all the other things. And you know, if we're if you're here and for whatever reason you've left him too, you know, here's another reason to come back. Because Jesus gives us an alternative that actually works. It's not one that that is uh, uh, you know a hypothesis. It's not one that well you know maybe it'll work. Jesus gives us an alternative that actually works. You know why I know that. Because he got by his life entirely without it. He kept all the commands of God. God teaches us, Jesus teaches us, do not worry. If you read Matthew chapter 6, or if you listen as James read it this morning, three times he gave you that imperative, do not worry. And so this morning, how do we do that? Let's dig a little deeper. We need to understand that worry is for the most part about the future. Sometimes we worry about the things in the past and we think about what happened in the past, but it still relates to our future. How am I going to handle this? Okay? Worry, for the most part, is about the future. And I want you to look at something. In Matthew chapter 6, at verse 25, the Bible says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Last time I looked, when you're talking in those terms, you're talking about what's happening after a while. Right? Not what you're wearing today, but what you will wear. When I get up tomorrow, what will I wear? What will I eat? Will there be enough food? 
Now, some of the things that those, worry, those people worried about in the first century are not the same worries that we have. We'll talk about that more today, but for the most part, we're talking about the future. As far as we're concerned, we've pretty much got it made <clears throat> when, when we're talking about the ideas of what we'll eat or what we'll wear. But that doesn't mean we don't have worries about bills to pay. It doesn't mean that we don't have worries about marriage problems. It doesn't mean that we don't have worries about our kids being in a mess or aging parents or health concerns of ourselves or somebody else. These future things that they looked at may not be the exact ones that we have, but what am I going to do about my health? in future days. How is my health going to cause me not to be able to do this or that or, or will I even be alive? Worry for the most part is about the future. But then, you know, as you think about that, Jesus wanted us to understand that your life is more than what you worry about. Your life is more than what you're worrying about. Go back there to Matthew chapter 6 at verse 25. Didn't have this part up there, but Jesus still said it. He said, Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? You know, no matter what we're worrying about, whether it's the, the food or the clothing thing that, that so many people worried about so long ago, when we're worrying about it, we're equating, we're making our life equal to just what we're worrying about. But I want you to understand, and Jesus wanted you to understand, your life is more. These things, no matter how difficult they may be to face, life is made up of more than just that. You say, well, my health is everything. No, it's really not. It's really not. Well, my kids are my whole life. No. As important as they are to us, they're not really our whole life. Jesus said, is life not more than... Life's bigger than just these things. No matter what the things are, there's more to your life than what you're worrying about. And until we grasp that, we'll never get past it. We've got to grasp it before we can go on. Jesus said, I want you to stop and be a bird watcher. Notice what he says there. And uh, continuing on in Matthew chapter 6 at verse 26, he said, look at the birds. Take a look at the birds. Now, before we read on there, I want you to remember where they were. This is in Matthew chapter 6. It's in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 starts out. He went up on the side of a mountain, and when he sat down, he began to teach the people. They were outside that day as Jesus was teaching. This may not have been the only time that Jesus made this uh, these statements taught these things, but I know on that day where he was. He was outside, and it may have been that some of these birds had come flying by as Jesus is talking about this. And he says, 
take a look at the birds. Well, they might have been, they might have landed over there on, a, on the side of the mountain. He says, take a look at the birds. Take a look at the birds. Well, what do you want to see about the birds? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They're gathering to barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Can I ask you a personal question this morning? How many of you have ever been driving down the road and you looked out one of the fields on the side of the road and you almost ran off of the side of the road and you said whoever it was that was riding with you, I want you to look at that bird driving that tractor. He's plowing the field over there. Now you may have seen a bird driving a tractor, but it's probably on Facebook. Okay? And if it is, I'm going to tell you something about Facebook. Not everything you see on Facebook is true. Okay? Birds don't drive tractors, do they? That's what Jesus said. Well, he didn't say it in that way. He said they don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't put it in barns. Now, is Jesus telling us, okay, now you, you need to be irresponsible in your life. Everything, just lay back, you know, be like a bird. You don't have to worry about anything. Just be like a bird and let God just take care of it all for you. Is that what God, Jesus is saying? Well, no. Jesus is saying, hey, folks, look at the birds over there. They're not capable of doing what you do. You have driven down the road and seen Farmer Jones or somebody driving a tractor, haven't you? You have passed by, perhaps even on the way to this building today, and seen a barn where people had put hay or something else in it. Jesus is teaching us, listen, birds are not capable of doing some things, but you are. We do what we can. We sow, we reap, we put it in the barn. But what if I plant it and we have a drought? There's some things that you do, but you can't handle everything. What if the barn burns down? There's some things that are out of our hands. Some things are in them. We do what we can. But the things that we can't, Jesus asks us a question. If God's taking care of these birds over there, and they're incapable of doing all of this planning and doing these other things, God takes care of them. Won't He take care of you who can? Are you not of more value than they? To which of the birds has He said, sit down on my right hand? To which of the birds does He offer eternal life? To which of the birds did He say, you're made in my own image? Not a single one, but he said it about you and me. And so today, if we want to take care of that worry thing, we do what we can, what we're capable of, but then we have to leave some other things in the hands 
of God. Not only that, but look at verse 27. And which of you, by by, uh, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? In in that passage, that points out that there are some things that we cannot do. And so that just goes to the point, to make the point that I just made. But then, not only does he say that, take a look at the landscape. I've already said this morning, they were outside, they were sitting on the side of the mountain, the crowd was there, multitude was there. And so they had the beauties of God's creation around them. Not just the birds flying by, they had the beauties of creation. Why are you anxious about clothing? I'm going to put this in country Jesus terms, okay? Y'all look over yonder at the flowers that were growing nearby. Consider the lilies of the field. Maybe the fields that were there close to them. How they grow. Have you ever seen one at a sewing machine? We got a couple of lilies here today, two young ladies by the name of Lily. They may sow someday. I don't know if they will or not. But I know the lilies he was talking about, the flowers, had never, never sown a thing. They neither toil nor spin. They're incapable of doing those things. But they just don't have the capacity to do it. And yet Solomon, in all of his glory, had the best tailors in the world, had the money, had the best materials, yet Solomon in all of his glory never dressed like one of them. Nobody ever walked up and said, man, he's prettier than the lilies of the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you Good question, isn't it? Good question. But Jesus is not finished there. He raises that question. Oh, ye of little faith. Do you really trust God to take care of you? I just got to stop and talk about this for a moment. You know, when we read that, we just almost see Jesus over here saying, Oh, ye of little faith. Like he sort of, I want y'all be sort of be quiet a little bit. Jesus is not walking around, sort of throwing up his hands. Jesus is calling them a name. It's one word in the original language. Matthew records it for us by inspiration. It's actually a compound word from their word little and their word faith. So basically Jesus says to them, He says, you know, look at the lilies of the field. God sows them up. You know, God's the one who makes the clothes. He makes them beautiful. Little faithers. Little faithers. That term is only used in the book of Matthew just a handful of times. Luke uses it one time. And in secular Greek, 
It's almost one of those terms that Jesus made up. Little faithers. Is he hitting at the heart of the problem as he makes that statement? You see, the real problem is a problem of trust. What if we were absolutely confident, certain, that our Heavenly Father knows and that our Heavenly Father cares? What if? Therefore, when you see the word therefore, you stop see what it's there for. Jesus just made a statement. Do what you can. God will take care of the rest. Look at the lilies of the field. They can't do anything, but God takes care of them, and you're a lot more valuable than them. And if you don't have faith in that, if you don't have trust in that, you've got a problem. Therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Notice he uses that future tense again, just translated shall here rather than will. What shall? What's going to happen in the future? And then he points out another thing. The Gentiles seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows you have need of them. All of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that will be added to you. Gentiles. You see, that's the rest of the folks. The Gentiles are those who are not God's people, not considered God's people. God's, Jesus is talking to the Jews at that point, talking to us today who is Christians. Everybody else... They worry about all those things, but not God's people. Not God's people. That's what he's telling us. The same term that's used for the Gentiles seeking after is used for Christians who seek after. But he points us in the direction of seeking after God's kingdom rather than worrying about all these things in life. When you're tempted to borrow from tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is doing today. That's not original with me. I read that from Andy Stanley, but he's right. When you're tempted to borrow from tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is doing today. See, that's part of seeking first the kingdom of God. We preach that verse a lot of times, telling church members, you know, be a worker for the Lord. And it does teach us that. But in context, Jesus says, don't worry. Three times. Don't worry. Here's the solution. Gentiles are busy worrying, taking care of, thinking about, constantly reminded of all of these things. 
but your mind is to be somewhere else on what God is doing. So we participate with Him. Therefore, again, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You remember we started out, worries about the future. Will, 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 shall, shall, shall. Well, here's the will and the shall. Calls it tomorrow here in this verse. And he's teaching us that whatever it is we're worrying about, that we're to relabel it. We relabel our worries tomorrow. And we let tomorrow take care of itself. Well, preacher, my problems are, you see, they're, they're, they're bigger than that. So I get an exemption because I'm special. Well, yes, you are. You're special. And so God wrote this passage to you because you are special. Got two questions for you. For every Christian here. Number one, what if we really believed God would be with us and take care of us no matter what? What if we really believed that? Would it make a difference in our life? Would it make a difference in your life if you really believed that God knew what you needed, that He could and He would handle it? brings us to question number two, why don't we believe it? Say, preacher, well, it's sort of absurd to think that God's going to handle my problems for me. Preacher, just not sure that's going to work. Preacher, God's let me down sometimes before. He hasn't come through, and so I'm not sure He'll come through on this one. Okay? You know what we're doing when we do that? When we choose not to put our trust in God, we have essentially chosen to put our faith in worry. What if I stood up here today and said, Trust in worry. Trust in worry. Trust in worry. I preach that. And, and, and you know, all I just went through a whole lot of passages that says trust and worry. Like, trust and worry with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. What if I preached that? What if I gave you a three-point sermon or maybe a five-point sermon on one of those long days and said trust and worry and here's why you trust and worry. You know what you'd say? Trust and worry? Well, I don't really believe that because that is absurd. It won't work. And worry will never come through for you. That's what you'd say. Well then, why are you trusting in worry? Which is absolutely what we do. Why do we do it? Jesus covers this topic again. Matthew or John chapter 14, verse 1. He tells his apostles, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. 
believe also in me. He speaks those comforting words to his apostles as they've gathered together on the night of the Passover and they have been together with Jesus. Jesus has washed their feet and he's telling them, let not your heart be troubled. And man, you know, he's sort of reassuring them, but he's telling them also that that he's going away and he's got all these things that that he's talking about. Let not your heart be troubled. He goes on down in verse... uh, 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 27, and he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, i got a special kind of peace. And he's reassuring them, and the next day he gets himself killed, crucified. And it devastates these people. Jesus has said basically to them, Don't worry about it, and the next day he's gone. What do we do? I can't trust him. They didn't really understand what Jesus was saying until Sunday. You see, that same Jesus that said, don't worry about it, and got himself killed, got up out of the grave and walked out. If you can't trust a man who, number one, can predict his own death, number two, undergo his own death, and number three, overcome his own death, who can you trust? How did Peter and James and John and all these men face all that they faced? How did they go to to their death? Jesus said, don't worry. And they had learned to trust because they had seen him get up and walk out of the grave and watched him as he went back to heaven and wrote it down for you, for me. And I choose to trust in worry that won't work rather than a God who raised His Son. And a Son, remember what He said in John 14, you believe God, believe Me too. Believe Me too. Paul would talk about it too in Philippians chapter 4. Let your reasonableness be known unto everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look at some things that I've got underlined and highlighted for you. Number one, he says, don't worry. Number two, which he said before. Why? The Lord's here. The Lord is here. These people were perplexed. They were troubled. The Philippians, Paul was in jail. What do you do? Well, you worry. No, you don't. Paul says, don't worry. God's here. He's got it. It's all handled, taken care of. What are you worrying about? But I like verse 7. When we stop worrying, we get that peace that Jesus promised back in John chapter 14, verse 27 to His apostles. We get that same peace. And the peace of God, not my peace, not the world's peace, but the peace that God can give me. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. 
I don't have the words. I don't have the mind, the comprehension. And there's no preacher alive that does that can adequately explain the peace of God. Because it surpasses all understanding. I don't understand how God's going to handle it. And I'm not going to stand up here this morning and tell you that I understand how God's going to handle the problems that you're worrying about today. Okay? But I'm going to tell you to trust Him rather than worry. Put your faith in Him rather than worry. And that peace that you don't even have the ability to understand can bless your life. What a magnificent, wonderful thought. You see, we, we really only have two options. We learn to trust God or we learn to trust worry. It's only two. Now, I know we're way past time this morning. I apologize for that, but I think it deserves talking about There are a few applications we need to make, and then the lesson will be yours. How do I learn to practice some of these things? Well, number one, we need to begin our day by declaring our trust in God. Every morning we get up, we pray to our God. may even need to include something like the psalmist included. A lot of times. He expressed his trust in God. Psalm 9, verse 10 Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 31, verses 6 through 8, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. You uh, You have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. And you have set my feet. In a broad place, you've taken care of me. Psalm 40, verses 4 and 5, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. God, you've done more for me than I can ever tell you but I trust you because I've seen you do it. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, O God, whose words I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? God be for us, who can be against us? Psalm 56, or rather Psalm 22, verses 4 and 5. In you our fathers trusted, They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted, were not put to shame. Some gotten out of the habit. Some never have begun the habit. But you need to start declaring your trust in God every day. Number two, maybe you need to relabel. Just as God said, relabel your worry tomorrow. 
It's not that test. It's not what's going on in a relationship. It's not the aging parents. It's tomorrow. I'll sow. I'll reap. I'll do what I can. I'll study. I'll take care of my health as best I can. All of those things. And God will be with me today. When I get up, God will be with me tomorrow too. He'll be there waiting on you tomorrow. When you're tempted to worry about tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is doing today. And that's basically Matthew chapter 6 at verse 33. What do you mean by that? Simply this. When you're worrying about all of these things, why not take a few minutes to pray for somebody else? For the hard time they're going through. It's not hard to find somebody, in most cases, who are going through much more than me and you. Drop them a note. Give them a call. Send them some encouraging words their way. Participate. And then finally ask yourself the questions that Jesus asked. Who by worrying can add a single hour to anyone's life? Who by worrying has upgraded your wardrobe? Who by worrying has reduced your grocery bill? Who by worrying has added value to what you value most? Jesus said, Do not worry. Trust God. He's here for you today. And He will be here for you tomorrow too. As we close our lesson today, you may have noticed it near the beginning of the lesson. I said, what Jesus says about worry may cause you to want to be a Christian. It may cause you to want to come home to Him because He gives you that alternative and He helps us. If we would just take His advice, life would be so much easier for us to accept. If you're here and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation today, do it right now as together we stand and sing.